Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And as usual, it's our weekend review of the news and looking forward to the coming week with our friends, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and host of That Said podcast, and John Bennett, editor-at-large and columnist at CQ Roll Call. I like the editor-at-large part. I, it makes makes you feel like you're a little more free than being tied down to a desk. I can't I can't tell you what it really means because yeah. uh, editor-at-large, <laughs> uh, we have a secret society with a handshake and a password. I know that in the handshake, Nanu, Nanu. Um, um, you know, I, I can't tell you. It's a secret. It's, it's a secret. So uh, this week, before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about the... Um, the uh, Mar-a-Lago investigation, and of course, the recent uh, uh, move for by Trump to try and get a special master, a taskmaster, attempted to task the master. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back for that. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question, and this week, Just Asking the Press, as we do every Sunday, taking a look at uh, the big news of the week, and we'll start out, and I guess, Mike, I'm going to start with you with the uh, uh, Trump asking for a, a special master to look at, uh, I guess, the material seized in uh, the um, uh, what happened at mar I can't stand to call it a raid. It, was, it wasn't really a raid, um, but anyway, that's what he calls it, but... Uh, now, it looks like the, the judge may allow this. Walk me through what this means. In the ordinary course, after a search warrant, when documents are seized, the FBI goes through those documents. Typically, there is a taint team and an untaint team. The untaint team goes through all of the documents and culls out that stuff which is protected by attorney-client privilege, executive privilege, whatever privileges may apply. Those documents are either returned to the person whose premises were searched, personal property, for example, or they're given to the court for determination. The stuff that's untainted, the stuff that can be used by the government in its investigation uh, goes to the prosecutors and they review it. In certain types of cases, especially where an attorney is involved, 
the court will often appoint a third party, a special master to do the work that the taint team of the FBI would do. And they do this to give the public and the prospective defendants, I suppose, confidence that the determinations of what is not privileged is done by a, a third neutral party. And the way the special master works, like sort of in the case of Michael Cohen, because he was an attorney to Trump and there was theoretically attorney-client privilege documents. The court appointed a special master and the special master reviewed the documents and they, they created a pile which was untainted documents, tainted documents, stuff which had to go back. And then that stuff in the middle where they sent it to the court and the court decided um, in which pile it, it fell. In this case, the FBI started its process and the Trump legal team was silent for about two weeks and then decided that it was time for them to file a motion for a special master and they did. And the court uh, indicated, as you said, Brian, her preliminary inclination to grant the motion for a special master. And that special master would come in now, I suppose, and either take over the process or review what has been done to date and then take over um, from there. From the standpoint of uh, public relations, it seems like a victory for Trump because it was his motion that asked for the special master. But I don't think there's any harm that comes to the Justice Department by having a special master, both in terms of the legal process of culling the tainted from the untainted. But I think in some sense, there's also an advantage to the Justice Department because if a special master by Trump's uh, request is appointed and the documents are reviewed, it eliminates the public complaint that the Justice Department rigged the search process rigged the review process that they're victims of you know continuing um, bad faith of the government here there'll be a special master the special master will review it under the court's supervision per trump's motion and i expect the special master who usually is a former judge will make the determination very similar to the way the fbi would have made it on their own. So I think in some sense, it's a win for Trump because he gets the special master. And in some sense, it's a unintended win for the DOJ because it eliminates Trump's being able to complain, which has been mostly his strategy um, since the time that the search warrant was executed. And, and John, you and I both know that if he's gonna crow and, and gripe and moan, he's gonna do it. And so when Michael yeah. says it's a, it's a win for Trump PR, that's all, Trump is looking for here, right? Another another chance to say he's been a victim. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's one thing to say Trump doesn't have a legal complaint. It's another thing to say Trump won't complain. Donald Trump will complain. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think when he, when he hits the occasional alleged hole in one, there's probably a complaint about, you know, it bounced three times instead of twice. Right. Uh, but yeah, he. This is all PR for Trump. Uh, you know, he. He. It doesn't appear uh, that he's getting any good legal advice. Or I haven't seen. I'm not a lawyer, but I haven't seen what what Michael and others might think is a is a coherent, sound, solid winning legal strategy. Uh, there's a lot of like you said PR strategy. Even 
a letter from his attorneys that was, <clears throat> excuse me, included in what was unsealed on Friday, you know, that, that, that looked like a, PR. a lot of legalese in there. That was all PR. This is what the man does. Um, and up until all of this, I would have been the one sitting here in, in my, in my box on the, on the zoom screen <laughs> saying that he's really good at it. He has, I would have said, you know, five months ago, or when we started this podcast, that you know Trump is really shrewd in how he runs his PR. But with with this one, I mean, they're arguing, and we touched on this last week. But I mean, they're arguing that because he was president, um, he's not an officer of the government, or 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 not an employee of the government. Um, but then they they also made this. Brian, you were there. You were in the room especially at the beginning of the presidency, Sean Spice would come out and make a big deal that the president was giving his government salary to charity. Yeah. So, okay, guys, which is it? Yeah. Well, I, what kills me about that when, when, and Michael, maybe you can even address it, but when I was asking uh, attorneys, when he asked for this special master, I said, what, what does this mean? And they all laughed and, and they said, well, it really means nothing because in the end, they'll still have to go through it. And Trump has, you know, it, it's a PR strategy move. And they pointed to the, uh, to what he filed in court, as you said, John, as, as being mostly PR and not much legal. So, I, I mean, is there any chance that appointing a special master, I mean, could, could Donald Trump get somebody like, you know, uh, Jared to, to be his, his special master? Could he find, or Mark Meadows? Or is this just going to be, you know, people who have experience in this further being cautious and making sure that everything that they have is exactly what they need and want? I, I don't see how the, because as a lay person, I don't see how this ends up bad for, for prosecuting Donald Trump. I think it's, uh, as you said, Michael, almost a, a, it's, a, it's a win for the, I mean, for the Justice Department because it takes away an argument theoretically that Donald Trump could make about it being tainted, but he'll still argue anyway. But Michael, is there any way that it comes out as, as, as helping Donald avoid uh, prosecution? It shouldn't. Assuming the judge appoints uh, a, a qualified independent special master who acts in good faith to review the documents, then the outcome should be pretty much the same as if the Justice Department itself acting in good faith, reviewed the documents, where I say it is a net plus for both of them. One is Donald Trump gets to say, you see, the judge agreed with me that this process was flawed, but at the end, and that's the, that's the, you know, sort of a, a victory in the first three innings of the game. But in the end, <laughs> if the judge, if the, if the special master says, all right, I've gone through it, and here are all of the documents that the government can use, and here are the ones that they can't use, that should, you know, in, in, in public relations and, of course, in legal terms, be the end of the, the issue of whether or not somehow the system was rigged against Trump. And I think that's important because while Trump has not really put forth a solid legal argument, I think he has put forth an argument which starts off my, my house was broken into, that's the language he used, it was a break-in, Yeah. and they seized documents that belonged to me, 
and you know, as evidenced by their passports, and they are rigging the system by looking at it themselves without a third party overseeing them. Again, a corruption of, of the process. And so if you, Justice Department, at the end of the day, think that you're gonna prosecute me and sort of get away with it, you have you know, another thought coming to you. All of the things that the Justice Department can do to undermine that doubt as to the uh, reliability of any charges that they bring, the fairness of any charges that they bring, I think is in the Justice Department's best interests. And uh, also this week uh, regarding this, we also saw that um, a redacted affidavit was released to the public. And John, you pointed out um, one of the uh, uh, quotes from the uh, from that they allowed in the redacted was probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found. I also found it uh, telling that there's a quote here. They have not the the what he had what Trump had, quote, they have not been handled in an appropriate manner or stored in an appropriate location. So I, I, I know that Donald is, the Donald and his sons have been making hay on social media, showing pictures of redacted pages going, yeah, here's your transparency. But that's crap too, because, you know, I, I this looks a lot like every other redacted statement I've ever gotten because of a FOIA from the DOJ. But tell me why you thought it was the, the probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found. That is kind of telling. Yeah, I thought that was among the, uh, you know, the things that really popped uh, from what we saw in the affidavit, what wasn't redacted. Um, you know, obstruction has been a charge against Donald Trump before, of course, uh, with, uh, you know, his various impeachment trials. So, um, I don't think this is a surprise. Uh, not sure exactly what evidence of obstruction uh, they found. Uh, you know, there could be some evidence that that he took documents to destroy them, or or just suppress them from from the record from his presidency. So, um, you know, that's that's a pretty serious charge. And you know, I have overheard some legal folks writing and, and, and talking since Friday that um, that this might be emerging as his biggest pot of hot water that he might find himself in. But back to the special master, I actually wanted to ask uh, Michael a, a question. Shoot. Uh, you know, we've seen Donald Trump, you know, he's used the court system over the years. He's tied things up in court. Um, could this be not, he, they know, he knows he can't stall this, investigation the whole time, but he might want to slow it down. Uh, how, how much would a special master slow down the document review? Well, assuming the judge appoints a special master quickly, the special master should be able to go to work quickly and uh, review the documents. The, the possible problems could be that you need a special master who has all of the DOJ and uh, intelligence community clearances. So, you know, finding that person uh, it, uh, and, and a person who the court believes, the public will believe is actually independent may take a little bit of time, but I expect there are a number of people- Could you do it, Michael? Uh, uh, my, my clearances aren't current. 
Ah. I had all of those. I had all those clearances. I had clearances through the uh, special access programs, but they're not current. So I couldn't do it. Out, and they'd have to do a whole investigation on me from the time of my last clearances to now. And that takes a while. So they have to find the right person who has all the clearances. But once that person is identified and uh, agrees to do the work, it should go pretty quickly. Uh, it went pretty quickly, Brian, did it not in the Michael Cohen case. Once the yes. special master was appointed, the special master moved very quickly. And the special master, if you will, often is not a person who him or herself is looking page by page, but is having the bureau do the legwork and presenting its proposed findings to the special master who like a judge in a sense, makes the determinations as to which pot it goes into, you know, tainted, untainted gray right. area. So it, it could, it, it, it could be a, a, a slowdown temporarily, John, but I think it, it, it's not one of these, let's take an appeal and six months later right. uh, type of delay. Okay. Were there any surprises, Michael, for you in the, uh, uh, in the redacted version of the affidavit, anything? Well, there was a there were a couple of things. Firstly, of course, um, we thought at the very outset, um, what was this all about? Was this about the government just wanting to get its documents back? Thank you very much. Case closed, or was there something more to this? And the first sentence of the affidavit says, "The government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal." and storage of highly classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of those records. So we know now that this is a investigation that involves first, how did these documents get out? Who, who removed them? And then under whose authority were they maintained? Did they have the proper clearances and stuff? And also did they endeavor to conceal and or in John's words, um, obstruct the investigation. So we now know that this is a multi-phase in, in investigation. And that's why we see those three statutes, concealment statute, grossly negligent handling of classified defense information, the espionage statute, and the obstruction statute. But the thing that also struck me, which is not... Um, uh, you know, in the affidavit per se, you know, it is, but but it's not the basis for um, obtaining the warrant, but it's rather in paragraph 80, which is the request for sealing the document. Yes. And in that paragraph 80, where the court is respectfully requested to seal the order, it says that the FBI has not yet identified, identified. all potential criminal confederates nor has it located all the evidence related to this investigation. And tellingly, premature disclosure of the contents of this affidavit may have significant and negative impact on the continuing, on the continuing investigation and may severely jeopardize its effectiveness by allowing criminal parties to obtain, uh, to uh, allowing criminal parties the opportunity to flee destroy evidence or notify Confederates. So I mean, that's <laughs> interesting to me that they're saying, we don't know all of the Confederates involved in this thing. And by the way, if you tell the people who will be reading this about what's going on here, they may endeavor to 
prevent others from cooperating. And that, you know, is sort of Mueller-esque in that it is saying there may be obstruction of this investigation if you let um, Trump and those in his orbit know about this because we fear that they will try to prevent those people from uh, further cooperating or they and or they may destroy evidence. We saw that in Manafort. Right. Uh, we saw that in the dangling of pardons part part of the Mueller investigation. And so the FBI in that paragraph seems to say this is ongoing. There are many more people that may be involved in this thing. And by the way, we don't trust we don't <laughs> trust Trump and, and those in his orbit um, to to um, honor the, the requirement to not try to influence prospective co-defendants or witnesses. So do you think that anything released in the redacted version would um, would make those fears come true? Or do you think it was circumspect enough that that Donald Trump can't make hay out of it and nor could anyone else? Well, I don't know about intelli foreign intelligence agencies reading this and whether or not there's uh, a word here or there that may um, be a tell for them. But I think for uh, Trump team, this has got to be a pretty uh, sobering document. And though most importantly, I didn't see anything in here that tipped off Trump as to who may be cooperating. Jared, <clears throat> Jared, <clears throat> I'm not going to save it. <clears throat> Jared. Although we haven't seen Mark Meadows for a while either, have we? <laughs> he's, he, he's, been, he's been missing in action for a while. I, yeah, I, don't, I mean, we could speculate all we want as to who was behind it. But I think to me, when I look at it, it's less about who tipped them off and more about what the information is. And there was a couple of other things that were in there that uh, I, I, I pulled this from some of the redacted stuff. It's like DOJ knew more classified material was at Mar-a-Lago. Didn't say how, but that's a tell that, you know, that someone told them. Um, they sent a letter on 6-8, which reiterated premises not authorized to store classified information. And they were told there was no more information and they have not been handled in an appropriate manner or stored in an appropriate location. So it, I think what you get out of the redacted version, and correct me anybody if I'm wrong, but I think you get a bit of the back and forth as to how we ended up where we are now with the DOJ being completely, look, if at any point in time before June 8th, I think, when that letter came out, had Donald simply just, handed over the material we wouldn't be here today right we wouldn't be discussing this today they would that was they were ready to let it go with that but he upped the ante and lied to them again and they had apparently uh solid information that he was lying well two things about that first is you may be right as to the concealment obstruction part of the investigation but remember what i read to you just a minute ago says they are concerned about how the documents with classified markings and records were removed from the White House and came to be stored at Mar-a-Lago. So even if they immediately cooperated and gave them all back, it, is, it appears that there would still be an ongoing FBI inquiry as to how did these documents get out of the White House? Because there are you know, very strict protocols around handling top secret information. And we know there are 27 documents that had top secret markings um, in, in this one. And also, Brian, though, I wanted to make one other point that I wanted to ask John a question, which is at the very outset of this thing, 
and I don't cover the politics of this at all. And John, my question to you is at the outset of this thing, we there were a lot of Republicans, you know, screaming or parroting Trump's words of break in and unprecedented and all that sort of stuff. And now this affidavit shows us that, as Brian indicates, between sort of January 21, when the documents were first removed, through August, when the search was conducted, there were multiple opportunities for Trump to give over these documents, and, and he didn't. And I, I was wondering, what's going on among the Republicans who were so quick out of the box to say, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to our democracy, to now we see that there is a long process by which they begged him to return the documents. And in fact, those documents, which they ultimately did get, did contain some of the, the, the highest classification indications um, that the, the intelligence community has. John, <laughs> what'd you say? that's a good question, so, actually. So how do you play in Trump world? So what are so what are these what are these politicians saying now? It seems like there's a deafening silence. But what what do you what what's your take on what's going on politically here? Okay. Oh yeah, they are as always uh, shape shifting and just picking something else as we talked about earlier to complain about. Uh, what what I heard a lot of uh, was complaining about the redactions. And that DOJ is so, you know, before DOJ had violated this and that, and, and they were playing politics. Well, now the big gripe is they're not being transparent. So that's, you know, I don't, I, I, I think Republicans have always done this to some extent, but they really learned how to put it into high gear with Trump. It's when, you know, you can just, you can just pick any little thing and, 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 you know, make a mountain out of a molehill, as they say down south. And that's what I'm hearing a lot of right now. They're not, they're still not talking that much about what might've been in the documents. And when they do, they say any president can declassify anything. But then when they're asked, um, well, he didn't follow the usual process. So no one else knew it was declassified. He didn't tell anyone. He didn't write it down. You know, he, he didn't scribble it on a quarter pounder wrapper and, and hand it to Mark Meadows. So they just shape those, those were all and, in the boxes. All the quarter pounder wrappers were in the boxes, <laughs> greasy and next to right. the <laughs> classified yeah. info. So they just they just shape shift and they just they just throw spaghetti at the wall. And and when something sticks or, or starts to trend, they all latch onto that and and ride that until it's time to, to jump on a, a, a new narrative. Well, you know, one thing, though, I have heard this week. Uh, Michael and, and John to, to boot, I, I have spoken with members, some members of the GOP or some former members of the GOP who have, they say the silence is deafening because they, that, um, you know, Meadows and others who might be at the forefront of defending the president or the ex-president, former president uh, for his actions have specifically not. And you have also not heard much out of Mitch McConnell either. And you haven't heard much out of those in office. I don't even think Lindsey Graham, although he posed with him on a, on a golf course recently, I don't think anyone has defended after the, I think this is going to play out to me. It's, it feels similar 
to how the January 6th hearings played out. In the beginning, there was a lot of fanfare, and then people said, oh, it won't be anything. And then as it continued, and each little bit of information dropped, it slowly soaked into and seeped into the national consciousness and conscience. And in this, in this case, I think the more that comes out about this search at Mar-a-Lago, and look, he compromised human assets. That's, that's one of the things that came out of this. And, and John, you, you pointed that out. It's, it's the more that it, it comes out, the more it shows how completely indiscriminately Donald Trump treats national secrets. And there's the, the big question, this, the question that still hasn't been answered. And I, I think when that shoe drops, we'll see a lot of uh, rending of hair and gnashing of teeth if the DOJ can show how the information were used and why he took it. Let me just jump in, though. You yeah. know, it's one thing for Republican lawmakers, high-profile people in the party to be silent and griping in private. Oh, it's yeah. another thing for them to go public and, and use Trump's name, name him, and say it publicly, go on Fox and say it, go on Newsmax and say it, uh, go on some of these, you know, some of these streaming uh, channels that, that Republicans are watching now and, and say these things publicly. So it's it's the same as it ever was. Yeah, this, is yeah. what they, this is what they did during his presidency. I would yeah. go up to the Hill and they just didn't want to talk about it. Right. I Yeah. I my oh, my 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 curiosity is my my and I don't want to say concern, but I always wonder if at some point in time that it whether it's after he's indicted which i always say right. i think he will be indicted that they publicly do it or they they always walk up to the line like you said they'll go sure. so far but not go far enough because of course the money's tied into it if right. if at the end of the day right. they see donald trump shedding that then mm -hmm. i think that that's when that's the moment because it's all tied up with money for them they just want the money other than a handful, the usual suspects, you know, I, if they're griping in public, you know, that that would be different. But other than the usual suspects, who's going to turn down the guy's endorsement? Right. In fact, they're going to seek it. Yeah, they still and But his um, some of his his minions ha did not fare well and are not going to fare well this fall. And that's one of the things I, I point out in, in, um, in my column this week is after a month on the road, it feels even more and more like there is a window opening for the Democrats into the midterm. And if that's the case, then Michael, your question about the politics of it becomes more pointed. Do they at, at, at any point in time, as this information drops, and if they see the polling going south, do they at, at, you know jettison Donald Trump in hopes of, of holding on to what was even two weeks ago was considered a, a lock for them to get the house back. And now is not looking so much like that. I think the house will still end up in Republican hands. Do you I think their majority will be a lot smaller than anyone could have imagined. I, I just don't think the map is, is there for Democrats to hold, to hold the chamber. Um, but again, you know, I think the Republican majority might be so small that Democrats could steal it back. Uh, in 2024. And that's why um, we last week saw some 
uh, very targeted leaks, uh, some whispers that Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and, and Jim Clyburn might stay into the next Congress uh, and then, you know, try to grab try to grab the majority back for a potential Biden second term or, uh, you know, whoever might be the eventual Democratic nominee over on the Senate side. You no, know, it's really a mixed bag, too, because in the House side, you know, they might have a 15 Republicans might have a 15 seat majority come January, but it's going to get a lot more MAGA no matter how many seats they win. <laughs> so the House is going to be noisy. It's it's going to be pretty nasty. They're going to investigate Biden. They're going to investigate Hunter's laptop. Uh, they're going to probably pull Hillary back into this and investigate her in some way. They'll probably Obama. Um, so that's going to be that that's going to be a, a you're not going to get much legislation done, let's face it. But on the Senate side, it's a different uh, it, 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 it's a different scenario because it looks like Democrats against all odds uh, could take the chamber or at least keep the 50 50 split. Uh, with Kamala Harris, of course, breaking any ties. So, you know, the House is going to get a lot more MAGA, but it looks like the Senate, um, other than, you know, maybe a one or two seat majority either way, it's going to look and sound a lot uh, like it does now. But, you know, they're not, they're not going to get any legislation done. Uh, well, Mitch, Mitch McConnell has already said that the Republicans should look askance at, at the Senate, that they may not get the majority in the Senate. Yeah. So that, that's a big concession for yeah. him. You know, from that guy, eight, that... yeah, from that guy, six to eight weeks out of out of the uh, the election. But I I think that there is, and I'll say it here. I think the pollsters have. I don't see the feeling out in some of these red and purple areas that that uh, the magas think exists. I I I I mean, when my seventy five or seventy two year old uh, brother in law who lives on a farm in mid Missouri, wears bib overalls, rides a tractor and loves Donald Trump, says Josh Hawley is a sissy and he won't vote for anybody in the Republican party because of it. I, I'm starting to think that maybe there's, maybe there's a chance, but uh, we'll wait and see. I, I wanna move on before we go to, the, uh, to, to our break. Michael, does any of the stuff that was already, you know, that we know Trump had, these classifications, some of these are the highest levels. Of, is there a real legitimate concern for national security or is this all politics? We don't know what's in the documents. So what we know is that the documents contained the classifications that it contained. Some of them meaning foreign surveillance acquired stuff and some of them you couldn't tell a foreign national, only a, a domestic national. Some of them were human source developed stuff. So we know that they have those markings. What we don't know is about what these documents pertain. And so the damage assessment that's going on now within the intelligence community is going to sort that out. We may never know the answer to that because it's not as if they're gonna say, oh yes, well, remember that human source document well that involved uh, you know faisal who we have you know in iran and um that compromises his ability to they're not going to tell you that uh they just have to take they just have to take remedial steps to protect this hypothetical 
um, Faisal in Iran so that he um, is not um, fatwood to death. And the damage assessment is, is a serious one. And you, in doing these things, always have to assume the worst case. You can't assume otherwise and, and uh, do your job properly. So Brian, I think the answer to your, the short answer to your question is a damage assessment is ongoing. The intelligence community will look at the content of the documents beyond you know, just its um, classification stamp and from the content of it, we'll be able to make a determination of what uh, amount of damage could have been done and what remedial steps must be taken. And on that thought, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. We're talking about the uh, the bathroom habits of eighty year old. No, no, wait a minute. That was that, that wasn't what we were talking about. But well, what we are talking about is uh, what happened in the world of uh, politics. Before I go any farther into, and and I do want to ask some questions about the DOJ probe. But I have noticed, and John, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, one of the problems I have with uh, some of our comrades in in uh, the press is the whataboutism, uh, the the false equivalency, and the just flat out not even understanding what it is that they're covering. And I was really horrified this week by uh, by the talk of I, I can't remember where I saw it. I want to say it was Paul, but I don't know. I can't remember. But basically, that Donald Trump's challenge with the special master would get any uh, FBI investigation thrown out. And I just can't, what's your take on how we've covered it? (laughs) I found the, now I was on the road this week. I had limited access to, uh, to uh, especially our friends on cable. Yes. Um, But I did, I was able to catch a little bit of streaming and um, I was disappointed as well. I, um, you know, I thought a lot of what I saw and heard uh, was was covering was was covering just like a like a ball game, and you know, yep. you know, analyzing every fumble and 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 kind of missing the big picture of, of what might be going on here. And you know, it, the the coverage was over dramatic. I thought you know, overselling uh, a lot of overselling going on. And, you know, they're still ignoring, with some exceptions, of course, uh, they're still ignoring the why and the how that I talked about last week and that my yeah. last column was about why did he take the documents and how 
Did he use them? If, if he did intend to use them or, or had attempted to use them or, or had used them. And, and, you know, I, I, something jumped out at me in the actual affidavit, um, which is the mention of quote, probable cause exists to believe that evidence contraband fruits of crime or other items illegally possessed were at Mar-a-Lago. And in there, fruits of crime jumped out at me. Um, if something bears fruit, that means you've used it to your advantage. So, um, you know, I, I didn't see uh, yeah. getting into that. I guess, I guess looking at the document and thinking about it critically, and I, I could have used some more thoughtful analysis of, of what this means and, and what we can learn from it, like we've been doing here. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought that. Well, what, what, what takes me back, it's like, all right, he changes his stories, right? It was planted. It was, uh, then it wasn't planted. And, you know, and he declassified it. And anything that, I, I like, my question was, how can you declassify something you didn't know was there that the FBI planted? I mean, the story has changed so many damn times. I, I guess Michael is is what 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 would be his next legal move? Is does he have a decent legal move after the special master that he can make? Well, it depends on lots of different things. So he he's had defenses that can be either seen as consistent or or inconsistent. The 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 first they're consistently inconsistent. <laughs> well, no, not necessarily. But so the first defense is that this was a raid um, on his property and unauthorized um, weaponization of the DOJ. That, that seems to be falling a bit by the wayside when we see how careful the DOJ was um, in the run-up to the August search warrant to try to be solicitous of the president, the former president, and that the search warrant only became a necessity when there was a reveal that the documents were as highly classified as as they were. Then the second defense sort of is, well, we rushed out of the White House in such a hurry that it was sort of like the scene in Home Alone where they sleep through the alarm and they yeah. rush to catch the plane and realize they leave Kevin behind. And uh, so he's he's home alone. So they rush to put all these documents together and um, in, by inadvertence, they have classified information in them. Well, that seems not to be so availing at the moment because the president uh, seems to have looked at the documents themselves, uh, either in the packing process or after they returned um, them to Mar-a-Lago or sent them to Mar-a-Lago. So, I just didn't know what was in there. It doesn't seem to be a particularly um, compelling defense. As to what happens next, they say, well, he's declassified. Uh, th th he declassified everything. Well, of course, the statutes don't require classification uh, to, to be violated. But if he affirmatively declassified everything, then it's hard to argue on the one hand uh, that he didn't know that he had right classified there. documents, unless, of course, the argument is a little bit more nuanced to say he has a standing order to declassify everything that leaves the White House. And though he didn't know specifically these documents were in, in his box, they were, they were not classified documents because of his standing order. Of course, there's no evidence that there was a standing order 
Um, no, 18 members of his own administration said they never heard such a thing uttered from, by him. Right. But the other thing, in addition to that, is that the present president has the authority to reclassify. <laughs> and, and you can, I think, reclassify by a pattern and practice, which is to say, if Trump declassified these documents, you would think that they would somehow be in the public domain at this point, because they'd be declassified documents, and that means they're publicly accessible. But none of these documents seem to be publicly accessible, which means by pattern and practice, the White House, the current White House, has maintained their classified status. So all of these defenses that have been raised legally seem to be uh, falling by the wayside. And it's very specious. What you get left with are, you know, hyper-technical legal defenses, which, you know, may carry the day. But as we talked about earlier in the program, a political defense, which is the same political defense we saw in respect of Mueller, which is, I am a victim. I've done nothing wrong. This is a witch hunt. This is a politicalization, weaponization of the DOJ by my enemies. And if this could happen to me, it could happen to all of you. And so Merrick Garland, don't you dare bring this prosecution against me. Because as I told you in that private note that I had conveyed to you just before you did your press conference, I talked to people and we're on the verge of a civil war and how can I bring down the temperature? Meaning, Either back off and I'll bring it down or, yeah. or back off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that you said, Michael, John, I'd love to get your 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 take on that is, you know, uh the 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 constant speech by by Donald Trump or the statements by Donald Trump that um if it could happen to me, it could happen to any of you. Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, you know, justice for one is justice for all. It, it damn sure would happen to you or me if I had a box. Of, and I'm just going to go through some of the stuff they found. 15 boxes given to the FBI. There were 184 unique documents bearing classification markings, 67 marked confidential, 92 documents marked secret, 25 documents marked top secret, and some contained Trump's handwritten notes. So. If you or I, John, had that in our house, you're damn sure the FBI would be knocking on it really quick, right? I mean, the idea yeah. that, he could, that it could happen to him, I want it to happen to him. It should happen to anyone who did it, yes? Sure. I mean, that's another example of his, uh, you know, often missing the point. Uh, but but his folks, you know, his folks eat it up. They love it. Uh, Republican lawmakers latch on. They repeat it. So... You know, you and it, it makes your hair hurt and my hair hurt trying to go through the logic of some of this stuff that, that Trump comes up with and puts out. Um, but but it works for him. If it's still working for him. And he's going to keep year, it up. Yeah, in a year, if it's still working for him with enough Republican voters, we'll see. We'll see if, if he gets in and and runs in the primary and, you know, there's not a legal some kind of deal where he would not run again. Um, and we'll probably talk a lot more about that kind of notion yeah. as the months go on. If there's some kind of deal that, that you know, he hangs out at Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster, plays golf and stays out of politics and doesn't run, um, 
you know, then, then everything's going to change. We're a long way away from that. Um, but, but another, another back to your original question on, on the media coverage, you know, a lot, some networks with this, this rehabilitation of former Trump staffers, including people who were there near the end and, and treating what these people are saying, like it's, it's gospel. suddenly, yeah, it's credible and, and it's almost gospel and it's so insightful. Um, I just, I, I'm just really uncomfortable. And there are a few who are in heavy rotation out there right now. And uh, you've got Stephanie Grisham, you've got Alyssa, Alyssa Farah and, and, and folks like that. And it's, it's just remarkable to me that you've got a Farah on, on this morning on one of the shows and she worked for a president who, who undermined the state department almost at every turn, cut its budget every year. And she's, she's, she's lauding things about the Peace Corps yeah. and, you know, talk about making your hair hurt. And some well, of how know, about Stephanie Grisham? The only thing she did in the year that she was there was yank my press pass. She never had one damn right. press briefing. She right. knows absolutely nothing about how this stuff works. And yet every time I see her sitting on the, on, on, in a chair on any hour, wherever she is, I just, it makes my hair hurt there. I, 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 but Michael, I guess this, this does lead me to one question Um, with the stuff that was found, right. With this and, and including some handwritten notes by Trump, is there, I, I, I was speaking with members of the DOJ. They say we're close but they think that there still isn't and, and we're going in the right direction, but, and that there will be indictments from this action. But as of yet, not enough information to indict Trump himself. I think that's right. I think that in respect of most of the things under which, uh, pro, for, let me say it again. I think that's right. I, for most of the investigations that are ongoing, there are sort of critical missing links for a prosecution of uh, the former president. In January 6th, for example, with respect to seditious uh, conspiracy, I don't think there is yet sufficient evidence that ties Trump directly to the uh, Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys to, to make that charge. There may be other charges, lesser charges, um, but they're also complicated. Incitement, for example, yeah. did he incite the crowd with his 224 tweet, um, where he basically says, Pence has let us down. It's time to you know, take this into our own hands. Is that incitement? Probably, but does it overcome the First Amendment? Uh, free speech issues, not not sure. So, do you go forward as a prosecutor well, with that case? Maybe, 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 maybe not. With respect to uh, Georgia, it seems like there's a, a case to be had against uh, the Giuliani's, Eastman's, Clark's uh, of of the world. But does it go? Do you have evidence that says the president? directed us to do this, or rather the president said to, the, to, to his minions, look, I have a sincere belief that this election in Georgia or elsewhere was um, the, the, the results are that of fraud, and I want you to do everything you can within your powers to 
you know, sort of make sure that this fraud is revealed. These things, these little details can make or break okay. a prosecution. And so, Brian, I think the answer to it is because we're only dealing with what is known publicly, to, to speculate that someone is about to be indicted who hasn't received yet a target letter, Yeah, that uh, it's, it's unknowable and perhaps irresponsible because it creates expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, then you get the, well, the Justice Department is failing us because all these legal analysts have said, this is a sure thing. If it was only me, if it was me who was doing this, I'd be indicted for sure. Yeah, except that you're not the president of the United States. Um, and your and your authority over the executive branch is different. And yeah, I have none. So I, I just my think point... that it's. I just think, Brian, that the answer has to be what Tom Petty sang, which is the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> and I knew you were going there. <laughs> Good song too. But but before you go there, let me. One of the reasons why, and here's two questions that I have out of it. One of the reasons why I, I asked this is because. If you remember Michael Cohen, you remember some of the other people that have worked with Trump, they say he operates as a mob boss. It's not, he he always tries to make sure that there's no direct tie between him and the illegal act. So I, I would they, it, it seems to me like, you know, there is a target letter out for Giuliani. There is going to be some indictments probably come out of um, it, out of the, uh, out of, out of Georgia. Right. And, and out of this, there are many people who handled, and there are uh, apparently videotapes and notes of the people who handled the, I mean, this didn't happen in a vacuum. All these documents, Donald Trump, I'll guarantee you, didn't carry them out himself, right? That's, there, there had to be people working for him. I, Don doesn't pick up much of anything, a bill, a check or anything. So someone carried that stuff out. So those people may be culpable as well but well they may be culpable they may be culpable uh, instead or alone alone, you're 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 the president of the united states and you've come to realize at the 11th hour that your tenure in office is about to end and you say to your chief of staff follow whatever is necessary to make sure that we take what we are allowed to take and don't take what we're not allowed to take and that's my standing order you know go to it and then all of this that we're talking about unfolds. The president says, look, I told them to do what Pence was doing, which is to carefully go through these documents and uh, make sure that we didn't take anything that we weren't, weren't authorized to do. Now, in order to... Is that nullified by the uh, June uh, 8th letter when they said we have nothing here and they lied and they still knew they did? Well, I thought there was also some testimony around this time that Trump said when he dropped into the uh, meeting at Mar-a-Lago when the FBI was there, he says he said something along the lines of "Give them what they, give them right. what they, the, give them what they want." Right. So he says, "Look, I didn't, I didn't orchestrate this removal. I delegated oh, that to Meadows. When I realized what they were doing down there, I said to them, "Give them what they, give them what they want." So I'm off the hook. Everybody else is on the hook now. Whether that's in fact what happened? Um, that's well, up for, if that's you know, the that's case, up for debate, and that's where the heart of uh, decision to prosecute um, hinges. 
And all right, so in that, if that's the case, uh, we could talk about RICO statutes and are they applicable later? But to to, to your point, John, if it's Mark Meadows that gets hung with this, how quick do you think he'll flip? <laughs> well, earlier you said could Mark Meadows be Trump's special master, and and I didn't get a chance, so I'll say it now. Uh, Trump would have to find him. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I hate to, I'll just, uh, I'll just, you know, I'll just say, you know, insert, uh, insert your best witness protection joke here. Uh, and, and, and as Joe Biden would say, that's hyperbole, of course. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, but, um, you know, I, I, I think again, I believe we talked about this last week a little bit and I still feel, uh, still feel this way that, I believe Mr. Meadows would, would probably try to protect Trump to some degree while also saving his own hide and, and trying to keep his punishment as low as it might be uh, if, if he is cooperating. I, I, think that's the, I think that's true for a lot of folks in that orbit. Um, but, you know, all it takes is one or two who know a lot of things uh, to just say, finally, to hell with this guy. I'm going to do what's best for me and my family. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to fully cooperate and, and, and sever ties for good. That will be interesting to see. And, and last question before we go to break, Michael, I've heard it said often, and I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear it from a federal prosecutor. Since Donald Trump has been ascribed the uh, type of behavior that is often thought of with a mob boss, and we know that RICO statutes were written particularly for mob bosses who tried to avoid responsibility for any of their actions. Is there any point in time where those RICO statutes could be used against Donald Trump if anything that we've seen so far, if it all falls apart and there's nothing else? In my words, not a chance. I don't, well, think, pretty... that, I don't think that, that, I mean, in Georgia, there's a state RICO statute, which essentially is committing two or more crimes in the course of, 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 of one's conduct. So that's a very mini RICO. And it may be that the DA in Georgia brings a RICO case under the state, Georgia, state of Georgia RICO statute, because there may have been two or more crimes connected with the false electors and other um, efforts to overturn the, the will of the Georgian uh, voters. But if you're asking me whether the Trump organization, which, you know, because you need, a, you know, it's an enterprise, whether the, there's an enterprise here that, that committed a, a RICO in, indictable offense, I, I think the answer is not on the evidence that I've, I've seen. And one, one thing, Brian, I want to just add, and we can talk about it after we come back to the break, which is there is interesting stuff going on um, with respect to some of the DOJ witnesses. And um, do tell. And and why don't we, we can wait to go to break? And now, now you don't drop that kind of info, and then we're going to break. No, 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 no. We're staying. What you got? <laughs> well, so there there's recent reporting that the individual who wrote the letter to uh, that Clark um, threatened Rosen with. Remember, there, remember yes. Rosen 
um, uh, is confronted by, by Clark. And he says that we want you to you know, send this letter out. Well, the guy who wrote that letter is this guy, Clen Ken Klukowski. So Ken Klukowski is a DOJ person who's working just under Jeffrey Clark. Remember, Jeffrey Clark's the- uh, Right out in his underwear. Assistant AG <laughs> whose house is, is, is searched. Right. Well, Klukowski is the one who writes this letter that Rosen um, is going to receive from Clark about the um, just just tell him there's a just tell me there's a fraud investigation and we'll handle it right yeah well there's recent reporting that Klukowski is cooperating and so if Klukowski is cooperating and he can say Clark did something criminal or potentially criminal right then that puts additional pressure on Clark to go upstream to say I was working under the direction of Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Mark Meadows was intimately involved in this. So you have the possibility here with this Klukowski cooperation that you'll get a break in understanding the efforts that, that Eastman and Giuliani, and I think by inference, uh, Meadows was involved in, and, and that may be significant. Well, with that said, I guess then the, the question becomes, um, if if that are the case, then logically, wouldn't you think that that all of this, that's where the prosecution against Trump would start, would be lower, right? It would be those people who who they knew they could get, and they would flip them and try to go upstream. Does that make sense? Right. That's what they're, 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 yeah. they're taking the people who are the weakest links Thanks. in the in the in the chain and trying to um flip them that'll be fun with that thought <laughs> we'll we'll call it a pancake moment they'll get flipped and we'll be right back hey just ask the question podcast listeners if you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. It's Just Ask the Press, our, our Sunday show, taking a look at the headlines for this week. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, Michael, uh, I, I think you were mentioning a, a, a baseball reference. So we can't go as as is our won't. We cannot go through a week without mentioning sports, college. I've given up on college football, John. I, I Once they started consolidating all the damn conferences, I, I used to play in the Big Eight. Now I don't even know where, where we are. Missouri is no longer in the Big Eight. We're in the SEC which is annoying to me since I grew up in Kentucky and that that was Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky and Mississippi and Ole Miss. And I, I just don't see it the same. I can't imagine Missouri in that conference, but nonetheless sucked this week, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Week zero is something of a dud this yeah. uh, shorter opening week uh, with the exception of uh, a, a few games, uh, most notably Northwestern, 
Some would call this an upset beating uh, Nebraska in Dublin, Ireland, of all places. Yeah. Uh, so that was a weird setting, uh, odd, uh, an odd conference game to start the season in and, and this weird week zero made for TV. And it wasn't even that well made for television. That there weren't a lot of, um, you know, bigger names playing each other. So uh, we'll get cranked up on Thursday with, I think, 20 games, and, and we'll get rolling here toward, uh, toward the college football playoff. And I think there are a lot of good stories. I think there are just a lot of good storylines this year. I think, you know, can Alabama and Georgia keep up their dominance? Uh, Tennessee, keep an eye on the volunteers. They may be all the way back finally. Um, they, their coach Heupel down there, uh, he likes to throw it around and just score points. And if they can stop, you know, if they can get some stops in big games, watch out. And, you know, I've, I've come to really um, – I don't. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I've I've come to really like um, um, I've come to really like um, Old Miss and and Ooh. what they're, and what they're doing down there. You know, it's really fun on a Saturday night to just kick back and watch a Lane Kiffin offense just go up and down the field. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And I and I hear you about the super conferences is where they're uh, headed and the transfer transfer portal. Changes everything, yeah. you know. Players move around now a lot. Um, yeah, that's but, nuts. But that's you know, not I think college we, football. Yeah, it's, we it's all like play. minor league pro football. That's what it is. That's what yeah. it's becoming. And you know, speaking but, but, of which, minor league pro football. Always- speaking of minor league football, no, no matter what you call the Washington football team, they still suck. Yeah, I, if they get if they get the seven wins, I think they'll be lucky this year. If they get the seven wins in the next two years, I think they'll be lucky. But that's <laughs> but Michael, <laughs> yeah, you were using a baseball analogy. I I can't get you know you can't get out of here without we got to at least talk about the the Nationals. Well, no, I want to talk about something different. Okay, I want to talk about. And your audience can't see it because it, we're just doing audio, right? But I'm wearing a shirt that I want to know if either of you recognize what this I is I have about. to see it. I can't see it. Group, oh, of course I know it. <laughs> you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. So you have to tell the audience, I'm wearing a shirt that says Group, Group w-, w Bench. Yeah. And so the question always is, <clears throat> what is the Group W Bench? <laughs> Where and- Circles and errors and a paragraph on the back of each one. There we were on the group W bench talking about mother rape and father stabbing, all kinds of groovy things. That right. So the group W bench for your audience who should now go out and listen to Alice, the Alice's restaurant massacre yeah. by, by um, Arlo Guthrie. When he, goes, when he goes down to uh, register Hall. for the dress to Whitehall. To, he got his draft notice in the 1960s, 1970s. He got his draft notice. True story, this, yes, this song is. He goes, down, he goes down there and uh, he goes through all of the different tests. And at the end, they say, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And of course, he was convicted of littering, <laughs> what the Alice's Restaurant song is sort of about. And, and they all moved away from him on the bench. And so when you when you have a when you have a criminal conviction, you had to go sit on the group W bench, which is where all the um, mean, Convicts. nasty, ugly people yeah. uh, sat. Because and they as they said to him, they want to know whether he's rehabilitated himself <laughs> enough 
to kill to, to kill innocent women and children and bomb bomb villages <laughs> after being a litter bug. But after being a litter so bug. They, I sat down on the group W bench and they all asked me, they said, kid, what are you what are you in for? What'd you get? And he goes, I didn't get nothing. I had to pick up the the litter and he goes what'd you get what are you in here for littering and they all moved away from me on the bench till i said creating a disturbance and they all moved back we started talking about mother raping father stabbing all kinds of groovy things yeah that, that, so there's a there's a store in new haven connecticut um which is called the group w bench and uh this is a t-shirt from the group w, group w bench. bench store in new haven connecticut a great little store if any of you are up there in New Haven. <laughs> you can wear this t-shirt and people will say to you, what is the Group W bench? And you can look at them like, really? You don't know Alice's restaurant? <laughs> I haven't heard that reference in a while. When I was in college radio, that was a 28 minute song. And if you had to go to the bathroom, that's the song you put on so you could go to the bathroom and come back. And so it usually got played at least two or three times during a day. <laughs> sure. And if you had a really upset stomach, you could play that followed by Inagata Davida. Yeah, you that's, that's right. Back it up with Inagata Davida and there's your whole shift. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> See, John's, John's too young to get these references. <laughs> John is unnaturally fun. quiet. That's, I'm just going to sit back and let you guys have, have yeah, this one. Well, I, I, being the one of the old farts in the room, that's I have actually referred to, and John, you'll actually appreciate, I've referred to the, the Brady briefing room as the Group W bench on more than one occasion. Because that's, that's, that's where all the litter bugs sit. But let's, so John, after the show, go listen to Alice's Restaurant massacre yeah in three-part harmony that's anyway well guys thanks again it was, it's always fun we'll do it again next week and hopefully we'll have a i i mean i just feel like we didn't even really get to unravel everything because there's so much but i i michael thanks for the I, I mean the stuff on the rico stuff and all of the stuff and john as well i mean all of that stuff if you're gonna follow this and this is for the audience out there if you're gonna follow it do yourself a favor and do, dive deep so you understand what's going on. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you again next week. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.